Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you could still be in on the action at betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Trace Dos Uno Yo, what is going on, Arkansas Razorback fans, SEC fans everywhere? Welcome to the Hawk Talk Podcast, the Friday show. I am the host of the of of the Friday show, Ty Hudson, alongside me as always, Kyle. Really cold outside, Sutherland. How you doing? It is really cold outside, <laughs> and I'm glad you're back because now I can just sit back with my sweet tea mixed with something maybe a little. Strong and oh. talk a little Razorback football. Talk some A and M game, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We're back to football this week. Yeah, bye weeks suck. I I'm not a fan. Not a fan. You had to have them. Hogs needed it. You know they were able to lick some some wounds, get healed up, patched up, ready to go against a really really tough A and M team. Although I'm going to argue. Well, I'll get to that in a second. I, I, I'll get to that in a second. We will read your Discord questions, so we're gonna we're gonna try and fly through those really quick, and we'll do that. We'll do that at the end. We'll we'll try to get those knocked out at the end. So stand by for those. Uh, don't forget for those of you who haven't yet, please rate and review the podcast if you're on iTunes. I know there's other formats besides iTunes, but I think that's the only one where you can actually rate and review. But wherever, however you're listening. It'd be great if you did that. If you rate, if you give us a rating and a review, give us some star power. We'd appreciate it. We hope you guys are doing well. Thank you again for downloading and listening, and we appreciate you guys being a part of what we do here. If you don't already, follow us across social media on Facebook as uh, Arkansas Hog Talk, on Twitter at Hog Talk, and uh, on Instagram. I think we're on MySpace. I think that's. Um, I think we're on MySpace as well. So we don't have a TikTok yet. We're working on it. Inst- Instagram. What's the other one? What was what, Pinterest? 
Well, there's Pinterest, and of course, you can't forget Zanga. Zanga, uh, favorite of 2004. Zanga mm. was it back then in those days. You can you can search us on uh, Bing and on Ask Jeeves as well. If you want, if you want to go real old school, uh, Ask Jeeves. When I discovered that in like junior high, like in ninth grade. I'm talking like 1998. Like Ask Jeeves. I remember being. I don't even know if I've ever. I don't know if I've ever heard of Ask Jeeves. Yeah, man, Ask Jeeves. That's old school. There's some old schoolers out there who remember. I know there are in the audience. We have a few things on the docket today. Starting off really quick, ESPN bowl game projections. And by the way, minimum game wins are wiped clean this year. So no matter what, Arkansas will be participating in a bowl game, assuming we haven't done like France has just recently done, locked down their country again because of COVID. Assuming everything goes accordingly, according to according to plan, we will be playing in a bowl game. And and uh, Mark Schleyball and Kyle Bonagura of ESPN.com have Arkansas playing currently in a very familiar bowl with Razorback fans in the Texas Bowl at NRG Stadium in Houston, home of the Houston Texans. Our very own Porter is a fan of the Texans. I'm sure he'd be tickled pink about that, playing inside that, inside the uh, where, where the Houston Texans play football. Kyle Bonaguru, Gura, I know I'm butchering that name, has Arkansas playing the Oklahoma Sooners, and Mark Schleyball has them playing, again, same bowl, Texas Bowl, against, uh, well, the Texas Longhorns. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Last time they played in that bowl game, they wiped the floor with the Longhorns. So I wouldn't be opposed to either one of these, Kyle. I'd, I'd, I'm all about it. Let's take on Oklahoma and Texas. Bring them on. I'd like to play Oklahoma. We haven't played them since... What, 2000, 2001, we played them in the Cotton Bowl. Yep. Lost 10-3. to 3. Oklahoma had a really good defense that year. But yeah. Hadn't played them in almost 20 years. So it's always cool cool and fun playing Texas. I know during our lifetime we've had some uh, really good wins against them and, and, you know, that rivalry dating back to the 50s, 60s, whatever it was. And so always fun playing Texas, but I would certainly love to play OU again. I almost would rather play Oklahoma if I, if I had to pick because – you know, I do remember being a kid, being in the Southwest Conference, and the, you know, the upside down hook'em horn, and hating the the burnt orange color. I, I I remember that. I was, I'm old enough to kind of remember that. Of course, I was knee high to a grasshopper by the time we joined the SEC in the early '90s. But I I would rather, I'd rather take on Oklahoma, number one, because after watching them play this year, I really, th- I, I think Arkansas. I don't know if they'd be favored against either of these opponents. I don't know, maybe. I don't know, Texas maybe, or maybe even Oklahoma. Maybe I don't know, maybe they would. But I I just feel like you have you'd have a shot against against Oklahoma and they have not been that impressive from what I've seen. I'm just not that impressed with Oklahoma. I don't know that their best days are behind them under this staff. I certainly don't think that, especially with the recruiting, but they again they're just not really living up to that hype in uh in two thousand twenty so far. And Texas again, like I I get it. It's burnt orange. It's the Longhorns. We want to play them. We want to beat them. But we've played them several times in the 2000s since that bowl game, and we played them in another bowl game. So I'm just not that not that pumped. And you're going to play them again in the near future. Not that excited if that were the game. I mean, I, again, bring them on. I, would, I, I've tra- I trash talk the Big 12 all the time because it's a garbage conference. But I don't know, something about Oklahoma. There's like a... There's a sexiness to it. Arkansas and Oklahoma, two really, by the way, 
uniforms, jerseys, the best-looking jerseys in college football. I think the same thing, too, about Indiana. Yeah, I know. They all three have one thing really in common. <laughs> their uniforms, their, their jerseys kind of look uh, pretty damn similar. We have some injury updates. Now, keep in mind, this is Wednesday. We're recording this on the 28th. Uh, at late at well, about eight o'clock at night, so we're a little bit behind. But what I have as of now, uh, bumper pull. I, I think he's gone from doubtful to probably I don't know, maybe questionable, just kind of on the borderline of uh, of probable. I think he might be teetering towards probable because he has been participating in practice this week. And Sam Pittman had told the media that you know they're going to take it day by day. Uh, to make a, a ruling on bumper pull and, and whether or not he's going to play. Monteric Brown has been participating. I think he was active last week as well during practice, to, you know, before their bye week. So you'll have Mo Brown back. Dorian Gerald, I think, I think I read somewhere he's been participating in, tra- in, uh, in practice. That was kind of hinted, what was that, Monday, I think, by, by Sam Pittman, I believe that, or maybe that was, maybe that was Tuesday. Sounds like he might. Very well, be back, and they need him. They, they they need him back. I like that Arkansas's pressuring quarterbacks. They're they're able to actually collapse the pocket, but now it's time to follow that up with getting some sacks. And I think Dorian Gerald will absolutely. I'm not saying he's going to blow up the stat stat sheet with with sacks, but you absolutely need someone like Dorian Gerald back. Uh, Jerry Jacobs. This is kind of old news again. I know you guys are hearing this on Friday, and this happened. I think Kyle. We said this happened on Monday. But uh, Jerry Jacobs has opted out for the NFL, and uh, it is a blow. I think anybody who says that that's, that that doesn't matter because of Hudson Clark, because you got Mo Brown back, Mo Brown who was actually looking pretty good according to Pro Football Focus. He'd actually been a uh, – they'd mentioned him several weeks ago about being one of the higher-rated corners in the SEC. Like Mo Brown being back is huge, but losing Jerry Jacobs, that's depth. Because behind Mo Brown and Hudson Clark, and look, I'm going to be honest. I love Hudson Clark. I love this kid. He he charges into the tackle. He's not afraid of, of getting physical and, and making some contact. You know, he's he's a solid tackler from what I've seen, from what little we've seen of him, and that's kind of my issue. Yeah, he had one um, unbelievable game. Can he be consistent? That's kind of the thing. You know, I'm just a natural born. I don't want to say skeptic. I'm not saying I'm a skeptic of Hudson Clark, but I want to see consistency. From here on out, is is he going to be an issue, you know, like man coverage? You're going to have to disguise your coverage as much as possible, and that's going to mean you're going to have to switch coverage. Arkansas doesn't play strictly zone. They will switch to man. How is he on man coverage? Because apparently all of his picks were on zone coverage plays. You know, uh, Barry Oden, as I call him, the defender of uh, Arc Guardian, if you if you will, if you're f- for all my fellow Marvel nerds out there, Thor, little Thor lore for you, uh, has put him in great position to make plays. He's actually that, and, and and I'm not saying that that Oden deserves all the credit, but he's absolutely putting these guys in position to make plays, and they all are. And, and Hudson Clark has been phenomenal. But I want to see him do that consistently. So behind Mo Brown and, and Hudson Clark, assuming Hudson Clark's going to be a, a – got to watch my language – being awesome this year, who do you have behind him? Who's behind these guys? Kari Johnson? We don't know much about Kari Johnson. He's played. Coaches have kind of bragged on him a little bit. Where's Devin Bush at? 
What has happened to Devin Bush? What has happened to some of these younger guys, you know, freshman, sophomore, uh, second and third year guys that are behind these two? Where are they? Why haven't they? Why did they get beat out by Hudson Clark? Why aren't we hearing their names more? We didn't hear their names during fall camp much. So Jerry Jacobs opting out is a bigger deal than I think people realize. Jerry Jacob, Jerry Jacobs was consistent. He came in, had an impact in fall camp, and was listed as a starter. And he started. And, uh, yeah, lost his job, but was someone that you knew had experience, was, a, was awesome at Arkansas State. I'm trying so hard <laughs> to watch my language. Was someone who was really good at Arkansas State, came in, had an impact in, in camp, and now he's gone, and now it's like, what do you have behind these two? Because Mo Brown is not the most durable guy on planet Earth, and we don't really know from here on out, is Hudson Clark going to be awesome? I, th- I think so. I think the, the, the pendulum is swinging in that direction. So, what do you make of the secondary, Kyle? What is your What are your thoughts behind these two, or even Hudson Clark and Mo Brown? Well, I think you brought up a good point about Hudson Clark. As great as he's been, he has made all of his plays, or the majority of them, in man coverage. The, the first one, or I'm sorry, in zone coverage, the first one being against Mississippi State when he helped bat that ball down. I think it was with Catalan uh, when they both batted that ball down in the end zone. But it's a big loss with Jacobs. As you mentioned, he did some good things at Arkansas State. He was with linebackers coach Ryan Rhodes when Rhodes was the head coach out at Hutts Community College before he went to Arkansas State. So he knew at least what some of this defensive staff was about already and did a pretty good job when he was in there. And we've preached so many different times that you've got to have depth in this league. And I know that I'm eating crow from – the reason that I had said that this team was only going to win probably one game was because they weren't going to have the depth, and they've proven at least through four games that they do. But the thing is, though, you it just really hurts losing a guy with the tenure. The the not I understand he had, doesn't have a long tenure in a Razorback uniform, but just as much college football as he has played, and the way that it seems that it happened, I'm not speculating. I still haven't heard the full truth and probably never will, at least in, not from an official have Jerry Jacobs' name stamped on it. But it it's looking, what, what I've heard and what makes sense and the way that it seems does really disappoint me because I really hope that that wasn't the case, that he just decided to walk out on his team. I hope and pray that that is not how it was because that's not what I personally think a player should be about. But, you know, we wish him the best and, and hopefully just moving forward that things work out for him. Well, you remember Cheyenne O'Grady and what kind of impact that had on him. Yeah. If uh, and CJ – well, and that, and that shows you a lot right there. I'll say about CJ is the as far as I know, as far as we have been told, about the only attention he's gotten from the NFL after the combine was the Cowboys were talking – they, there was just a rumblings, and it was never even confirmed by them that they were talking about looking at him. And so there had to be some pretty serious issues, and it just shows how much that does hurt your stock mm. when you have bad reputations from other coaches, yeah. other players. As talented as he is, you think about some of the guys in the NFL that have committed crimes and been found guilty of those crimes, but they're still in the NFL because of their talent. And you think about C.J. O'Grady and the talent that he has to offer and he didn't even get a shot. Yep. It it matters, and I hope, and I'm with you, I hope that wasn't the case. We're not saying that it was, but uh, for his own sake, you know, for his future, 
I hope that wasn't something that happened. Uh, Some depth chart changes. Trey Knox not listed as a starter this week. This one's interesting because I'm pretty positive Knox has been the starter every week according to the depth charts that have been released. And it looks like your starting three now are going to be Traylon Burks, Mike Woods, and Devion Warren. That's for this A&M matchup. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to say it. If only they could get the run game going, what this offense could do. We've seen snippets of it here and there. You go back to the Auburn game when Traylon Smith was getting it going on the ground. The run game, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you go from like two yards of carry to four and a half, five yards of carry, and you're, you're, it opens everything up. And that's that's like football 101. I'm not telling anything here. I'm not telling anybody here they don't already know. If you're throw, if, if, but it seems to be especially true if you're able to run the football. More so than, oh, well, look, your passing game open and now you're going to be able to run. It seems like it's been the other way around more so. The run game opens up everything. You know, it opens up play action. Fades down the field. It's going to open up man coverage. It's going to open up you know, gaps in the defense because now they're you're stacking the box. It just it it does wonders. And if you could do that against A and M, we're going we're going to go into that breakdown here in just a minute. But it's going to be huge. And then that benefits these guys: Traylon Burks, Mike Woods, and Davion Warren. Benefits Felipe Franks, and they're going to need someone Saturday to get going on the ground to to open everything up. I don't care who it is. We had that conversation in the Monday live show over on the PTN on YouTube and I had people in my chat and look, I don't blame him because he ha- he's been the only running back to do anything this year. A lot of people think that, that, uh, you know, the transfer Traylon is the guy should be the guy over Rakeem Boyd. And my argument is we just haven't seen a healthy Rakeem Boyd. We just haven't seen it, but it's nice when you have a guy like Traylon, who's a little bit shiftier and, and, uh, moves a little bit quicker than Rakeem does. It's nice to have that option. It's nice to have both of them. And I think, Rakeem will be healthy this week. Hopefully we see him tear it up, but that's going to be difficult because A&M is damn good. Uh, sorry, 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 swear jar. Put some money in the swear jar. It's going to be hard to run run the ball against A&M. These guys are really good. Okay, yeah, so again, Trey Knox not listed as a starter this week. I, I mean, you know, it's and it, that's also not shocking news to anybody either. I mean, the guy's dropping passes. You know, and he's not targeted a lot, and I, I couldn't speak to that, but it might have something to do with confidence, the confidence that Felipe Franks, or the lack of confidence that Felipe Franks has throwing Trey Knox the ball. You know, I'm going to throw to this guy, and what, he's going to drop it? No, 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 no. I'll go to someone else like Devion Warren, who's had a couple of really good games. Mike Woods, who stepped up. Traylon Burks, when he's healthy, you see what that guy could do. I'm going to go that direction. So, yeah. Arkansas... Texas A&M, I, I'll just start off with this. Uh, Kyle, What? What? who do you have? Uh, and there are questions in the Discord about this game, so we'll kind of we'll leave some of that out so we can answer those questions at the end. But uh, we'll do the best that we can here. Who do you have? Why do you have them? You know, who's, who's the star? Who's your player of the game? What are you looking for in this game? Since 2014, three of these games have gone to overtime. Five out of the six have been decided by a touchdown or less. I think we're going to have another crazy game in College Station. And I've gotten dogged so many times for not picking the Hogs. But you know what? I'm going to finally pick them. I'll go ahead and say uh, say Hogs 
27-24. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait. You're picking the Hogs this week? I'm going to pick the Hogs this week. And what's your score? I'm going to I'm going to go 27-24. They walk out of Aggie Land victorious. Wow. Okay. I no, I like it because you I don't think you've picked the Hogs once this year. I have oh, I definitely haven't picked them this year. I haven't picked them since I think a couple weeks ago I said I hadn't picked them since North Texas. That's not true. I think the last time was I, I'm pretty confident I didn't pick them any last year, at least at, not in conference. Yeah. The last time I picked them in an SEC game, I think oh, I'm pretty sure it was Ole Miss in 2018 at the wow. Or, or we lost 37-33. I think that was the last time. So this is huge. This is huge. Yeah. yeah. Kyle Sutherland, you're hearing it here first. Well, I say that you know Keith might actually drop that. Gra- <laughs> he might drop that graphic before this podcast even goes live Friday morning. But you're picking Ark. You're picking on the Hogs by. Would you say by three twenty seven twenty four? I'm, I'm gonna say three points. Yeah. Wow, I like it. I like it. What? So in so how do they do it? How do you think they get this dub? I I think that it's going to be. They're going to sack Kellen Mond. It's going to be Grant Morgan sacks Kellen Mond. And Julius Coates picks it up and takes it in for the touchdown. I'll take that. I'll take that, man. Could you imagine that dude running that ball into the end zone? That guy's a monster. Coates is a monster. <laughs> I'll take that any day. Obviously, of the week. at that point, but before that, he does the scoop and score. It's We have 20 points, so... I guess either we've missed a, we've missed an extra point somewhere in that time, or we've hit two field goals. Which I would believe that I would believe that they'd miss a field goal. I, you know, and you and I've been both of us have been wrong on several things. We were both wrong on Fountain. I'm just I'm I'm gonna yeah. say it here Fountain has not lived up to the hype, yeah. and it is so frustrating how I am. And I said this on Twitter several weeks ago. I'm nervous every time we take the field on special teams. I know we're talking, you know, not necessarily extra point here, but we are talking special teams. It's it's scary. Now the two point conversions are not on him. That's not on him. Those are just, you know, they miss those. Uh, I don't know what the, what are they? Oh for three on the year and two point conversions. That's not really a special teams thing, but still, it's I can't understand what is going on with the special teams this year. The punt coverage is poor. They're making they're they're there's penalties on fourth downs. They've got to lead the league in penalties when your punt team is on the field. I mean, it's just it's a disaster. Special teams, it's almost as if there's no one coaching there at all. It's like no one is coaching there. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine texted me, we need to hire a special teams coach. I said, bro, they have have the best special teams coach. Supposedly, they got the best one in the business, at least in the SEC. He couldn't believe it. Of course, he's not like a super-duper diehard hog fan. I don't even think he listens to this podcast. Shows you what a loser he is, but I it's it's not surprising that he didn't know and that you know fans are upset. I mean they are they're upset with how special teams has gone. So you may not be wrong, man. This this could come down to special teams. Um and with them I'd take that, two field goals, you know, whatever. I'd take that. I have Arkansas losing this one. And uh I I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on a sc- well, that's not fair because you gave a score. I'll, I'll give a score. Um, this is actually off the top of my head. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, both these offenses, 
Mond has been very vanilla. I mean, the guy's pass completion ratio is like 61%. You know, in fact, they are similar in numbers. Mond is 80 of 130 on the year for 984 yards, nine touchdowns, two picks. Franks, They're almost identical. They are. Frank's two more completions, 82 of 128 for 974 yards in eight touchdowns to three picks. Now, Mond has been sacked less, but against Arkansas, he's been sacked quite a bit. I think we posted it was like eight times, right? So, it's he's been sacked eight times during his career playing Arkansas, and seven of those have been the past two games. So, if that happens, I think you got a real good shot. If you're able to create some pressure back there on Kellen Mond, I, I like your odds, but uh, those numbers are identical. Kellen Mond has not been this – all-American that the SEC and that the media and everyone, these preseason magazines and all these talking heads across the country, he's not been the All-American people tried to make him out to be, which no one no one was really receptive to that. Everyone was pretty uh, – everyone was, was skeptical to, to the greatness that was supposed to be Mont. It's crazy how identical these two teams are. We'll go down that list here really quick. Uh, Arkansas points per game, 23, A&M, 28. <laughs> points allowed Arkansas 25 and a half A&M 29 now the difference here is offense Arkansas which has just been offensively let's just be honest it's been abysmal it's not been very good they lack consistency there's no run game there's no push on the line of scrimmage no run game whatsoever Arkansas is averaging just under 347 yards a game A&M 422 passing yards really close 244 to 250 Arkansas at 244 Rushing yards, I don't know how, but Arkansas is north of 100 yards at 102.3 A&M because of Spiller, 172. Now, yards allowed, this is what frightens me the most. And that was actually a question someone asked in Discord. 354 yards allowed per game yardage. Arkansas at 418. Think about that. Arkansas has been praised as like maybe even the second-best defense in the conference. When you talk about what is it, success rate or whatever they try to – these fancy analytical numbers they try to use. Uh, but unlike drives that end in touchdowns, Arkansas's near the top. Now, I don't really know where A&M's at, but I know one thing. They're not giving up a lot of yards. And their run defense, holy cow. I mean, first off, 354 yards allowed per game. That would be impressive in the old I-formation handing the ball off 35, 40 times a game era of college football, which was like 15, 10, 15 years ago. Averaging, just giving up 354 yards would have been pretty decent back then. And they're doing that now after playing Alabama and Florida. And I had someone in my chat live stream, I forgot who it was, they said, well, I would have impressive numbers too if I played Vanderbilt. No, no, they've played Florida and Bama. Possibly the two best offenses, or, or at least two of the better offenses in this conference. Alabama, there's no doubt they're the best offense in the SEC. That's freaking good, and they're only giving up 75 yards a game on the ground. So I already answered your Discord question right there. That's what worries the crap out of me. Spiller is good. Spiller is is really good. This guy, 64 carries, 430 yards, four touchdowns. I think that's, what, six and a half yards a carry. That's, that's like what Rakeem Boyd was doing last year at the height of the season for him. I mean, he is that level of good. That's the level he's playing at. They've had some hits. Osmond, their, their, their leading receiver, or one of them, I think, from 2019, he opted out this year. They had a couple of guys opt out on offense. Um, but their claim to fame this year, 
despite getting smacked around like a like a redheaded Alabama stepchild, you know, getting smacked around by the Crimson Tide 52 to 24 and then everyone wants to look at the 17 to 12 Vanderbilt game. Maybe there's some meaning there between those two games, but then when you turn around you and you hang 41. Then again, Florida's defense has not been good this year, but they beat Florida 41 to 38 at home. That's not bad. Then they went on the road and 28 to 14 on Mississippi State. Yeah, Mississippi State's not going to be good this year. A lot of chaos going on over there. A&M has been pretty I mean, they've been they haven't been consistent, especially on offense, but they haven't been terrible either. So I I don't know, man. I really think this is going to be an uphill battle for the Razorbacks. I just I don't see this. Right now the spread is at 12 points. They've got A&M favored by 12. It started out, I think, what, 15, um, and then it went down to 12.5 yesterday, and now it's down to 12. It probably will shrink more by game day. But uh, I I can't decide, you know, 12 points, that's not terrible. The over-under at 54.5, so – yeah, I think I think that uh, A&M probably wins this game. I'm going to say 27 to 20. How about that? 27 to 20. That's where I'm at with it, Kyle. I'll, I mean, that's reasonable. It's not getting smacked around. It's not. It's not getting your butt kicked. Hopefully, Rakeem Boyd's healthy. Hopefully, the offensive line can can get some push. Let's go to the Discord questions really quick, and then uh, we'll uh, get ready for the next segment. By the way, next up, uh, Kyle is going to have a. He's going to have a conversation with Travis Brown from the Eagle, who uh, who covers A&M Athletics down in Texas. So stand by for that. That will be the next segment. And we're we're not 100% sure while we're recording this if Porter's going to do the, the uh, U of A women's update or not. But stand by for that too, possibly. So going to Discord. Let's pull this up here really quick. There's a lot of questions. So we may not get to them all, by the way. Just forgive us. Jay Haas. Oh, Lord. Do I want to read this? Is it bad? I think he kept everything clean. Okay. I, this time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I had to be really careful last week because normally I know you read them and I just answer, but I'm like, oh, crap, as I'm reading this, I didn't filter it before. Nope. So yeah, and I had to make sure to do that. I, I usually don't. It, what's funny is I don't like to proofread because I kind of like that shock, you know, because I, I know the audience probably gets a kick out of that, like the, oh, boy, here we go. So I try not to proofread. And, you know, with my horrible vision and this tiny screen I'm looking at, I probably should proofread and put my glasses on. So Haas, I don't know what he's talking about here. Mine, my one from the other day, if Arkansas wins games, defense wins championships, how long can we keep this up with a lackluster offensive performance? It's a really Really good question, actually. How much rides on this game for uh, for the team's confidence? If they pull it out, if they pull it out, they have in the eyes of the fans a four game win streak. Can that momentum carry them through the rest of the season? I'll let you answer away. Man, that's that's loaded, but uh, it's good. <laughs> I I definitely think the defense does still win championships. However, it's not like it used to be where your defense can give up. 21 points in most cases. Now, we saw against Mississippi State, and um, I guess it was exactly 21 for Ole Miss, that that is the case. But usually now it's why Nick Saban opened opened up his offense. He knew he had to start scoring. You see a lot of coaches doing that. And so, yes, defense still is is very key, but you do need to have a successful offense and need to have a much better one than what we've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks from Arkansas. And this game definitely rides on their confidence. This dates back to when a lot of these players were in junior high school since the last time that Arkansas won the game. It's been close to a decade 
since they've beaten A&M. It's ridiculous. You finally do that. Yeah, you take off. You've, you've already gotten – you've broken your streak of the uh, of SEC games lost at, at, on the road and at home, and then you do this after nine years in College Station at their place. Man, I, I mean, I don't know how what the limit is for this team. I, I don't think that they can beat Alabama or maybe well, there's a couple of other teams I would say too, but – I definitely think that this is uh, this is a team that could get up to around maybe possibly five to six wins at most when I was originally saying one. And so this is big for confidence and just finally breaking another streak. That's a good question. I like that. A good answer too, Everybody, Kyle. Very good question. Yeah. Which is rare from Haas. I mean, this guy, he's you know, sitting around drinking his beers. And he, Mr. J. Haas 17, J. Haas Jr. 17, comes up with the most asinine, ridiculous, <laughs> drunk-texted questions. I'm just kidding. We love you. You know that. We love you, Haas. Thanks for the question. Well, in his, in his defense, too, and I don't defend him often, but he definitely stumped us on a word once. Was it modicum <laughs> that he stumped us on and we didn't think it was a word? He does it my, he does it in my live chat. So he'll come uh, through and he, he'll find a way to, to sneak that word in. And I just laugh because – you know, I'm just, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give him the pleasure. Bamsey wants to know how will recruiting numbers be affected if seniors come back? Now, that's a question we're going to have to answer like later on in the year. That's a tough one because a lot can happen between now and, and you know, December. A lot can happen between now and Bama, which is your, it's your last game of the year. So, and then Austin wants to know who are the eight to nine seniors you think they'll be recruiting. So, yeah, again, We'll have to uh, we're gonna have to wait till the end of the year to actually to uh, to answer that. Kelly on Discord. And again, these are our Discord questions. If you've kind of been tuning in and tuning out, these we're reading our Discord questions. Kelly wants to know which player has the best offensive numbers in this game. That's a good question. Who has the most picks? How many pick six? How how many pick sixes? And think any of the O line starters change this week? So I'm just gonna say this: the depth chart. Kyle and I were trying to mull over that the depth chart right now i think it's been the same now for the last couple of games myron cunningham at left tackle brady latham at left guard but there is an or on the depth chart with shane clinton and then ricky stromberg at center obviously you're not going to change that bo limmer or ty clary at right guard then right tackle is going to be noah gatlin with dalton wagner behind him so i think that's been the same they have mixed it up, and Kelly's right. They have. She's brought that up before. They have mixed up the offensive line a little bit here and there over the year. Which player has the best offensive numbers in this game? That's a tough one. I mean, I'm just I'm gonna say Traylon. I'm gonna I'm gonna go really? Traylon Smith. Okay, I, I think that he's gonna be a factor in the in the receiving game. This offense is finally going to. They're gonna have to get some stuff going out of the backfield because it is gonna be tough to run on this defensive line, this defensive front. I think Traylon Smith can do some good things out of the backfield, and, and then he can maybe do some – if this offensive line can maybe get him sprung a little bit on some zone reads or something like that, Yeah, uh, I think that he can definitely be a big factor. I could see that, and this is his kind of game. I mean, it really is. This is his kind of game, a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. It wouldn't surprise me, even though Rakeem's 100%, to see more of, to see more of him. Because he is more effective in the passing game than Rakeem. And if you remember, right, that's what he claimed on Twitter that, that, hey, I need to work on that. That will get me a higher draft grade. So to me, Traylon's been the better guy out of the backfield as far as catching the ball. And yeah, he's been the one that's had more, you know, he leads the team in rushing yards from the running backs. 
Uh, although he did that against, you know, in one game, he got all that in one game against Auburn or the majority of it. But run the run north south running for this team is non existent. And hell, they've had a hard time. I mean, gee golly, Willikers, heck, they've, they've had a hard time running the ball outside on the edges, too. They've not been able to run the freaking ball. So this game, if either back, if you asked me to put money on it, who I thought would break out, it would be Traylon. But then again, Rakeem Boyd has not been 100% in a while, and who knows, maybe he has picked it up catching the ball out of the backfield. Maybe that is something they've really worked on with him, and they're going to get that part of the game going. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Burks, and and that might feel a bit easy, but I I think that because number one, you've got Knox out of there. I don't know how much how much of the field Knox is going to. I don't know how much he's going to play. But now you've got guys that are that have been more dependable. All three Woods, Devion Warren, who's had an amazing senior season, by the way. Uh, so far, although he's been he was absent last game on the field in terms of numbers, but still, I mean, he's had a couple of really good games. Kind of came out of nowhere. Now that you've got those guys, you know, going and they're going to all be on the field at the same time, I think I think it's just going to set up for Burks. It, it, the the offense kind of has hinged on him, as a matter of fact. Obviously, it's helped that Felipe Franks has been. I mean, the guy's just been a he's been a leader at the quarterback spot. He's been the captain of this ship on offense. He doesn't panic. I've really liked what I've seen from him, and it has surprised me. I did not expect Felipe Franks to be this. He's been consistent, and he really should have four picks, not three. There was a, a actually maybe even more. I think he's had a couple of opportunities there, or, or DBs have dropped picks by him, but still, he's been pretty impressive. I hope this isn't the game where that all comes crashing down, but he's obviously in sync with Burks, and he and Burks. They they've just they're dialed in. You remember those videos they were posting back before fall camp of him and Burks, you know, throwing the ball back and forth. You know, Burks running routes and and Felipe Franks letting it air out. I, I'm wondering if that's a big. Well, it, it's got to be right. It's got to be a big reason why these two are so in sync. They probably worked really hard in the off season between the two of them, getting in sync and getting their timing down, which f- just matters a lot. I think Burks. I don't know how many numbers. But they're going to need someone, and we know that when this offense is kind of moping along like it's done, when Burks is out there and he's healthy, he's been the guy to help lift them up out of that. So I, I think Burks – I'm going to take Burks. That was a long-winded answer. I'm sorry. Well, something else to think <laughs> about, though, Mike Woods, guy from Texas. He's had good games score each year against point. Texas A&M the past couple of years. And Traylon Smith, also from Texas. That's a good so, point. They, they've got that extra chip on their shoulder. And players have played really well when they go back to Texas that play at Arkansas. That's a really good point. I like that out of you. That's a good point. Uh, I could see that. And and who knows how this thing goes. She also wants to know, Kelly wants to know, uh, who has the most picks. That's a sign that your defense, as if we didn't already know this anyways, but that fans are that excited about what's going on defense. You've got someone asking, who has the most picks? Uh, and Kellen Mond's been pretty consistent back there, not turning the ball over. Yeah. But we thought the same thing about yeah. Costello. Well, we've picked him off four times, and so I, I think we might get him once or twice. But I, I feel like so she says, "Who has the most picks?" And then how many pick sixes? I don't know that we're going to have a pick six. I think we're more likely to have a scoop and score. Which I love the fact that she followed that up with how many pick sixes. But yeah, I, I, I think I think that we're going to have. I think we might have a scooping score if we have a defensive touchdown. Mm-hmm. 
I, but maybe like an interception or two. I wouldn't think. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe two to three turnovers for Texas A and M. I could see that with this. This defense is so opportunistic, man, and it goes back to disguising your coverage. It's it's so good to have Mo Brown back. I'm so excited about that. I think he's been one of those guys that's had a couple of moments, but we haven't seen. He just can't stay healthy. And last year. He was he didn't get enough credit. He was a lockdown corner and he actually played pretty good man coverage. They like to play a little bit of man last year and he's pretty decent pretty decent man cover guy. You got to have someone in your secondary that could play some tight man coverage and he could, he's he's capable of doing that. So one side of the field can play man, the other side can play zone, then you switch it up and you disguise Mo Brown can be he doesn't get picks. He's not going to be like a Hudson Clark back there playing zone or whatever coverage and then just pick you off left and right. I say that, watch Mo Brown have a game where he has two, where he has two picks. That'd be my luck because that's how things go. But, I, hey, I'd be all for it. I, I've told you guys before, I don't mind being wrong when it comes to the Razorbacks, when I pick when I pick against them or whatever, if I'm a naysayer about a player. Let's go down here. Haas Mond has not been that impressive against us recently, and we already kind of addressed that. Can we apply pressure – and be able to force errors out of self-proclaimed out of the so the self-proclaimed best quarterback in the SEC. So we kind of answered that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll say this: getting Dorian Gerald back, if he's a hundred percent, obviously you're going to have Marshall, who I mean has just been excellent at at forcing himself into the play, at getting into the backfield. He's not getting sacks, but he's forcing. You know, he's put, he's getting push up front. He's been the he's been the majority reason for that. To get Dorian Gerald back, hopefully you get him some assistance. I think that's a possibility that, that you can get some pressure and force him to have – like Kyle said, Kyle thinks we're going to get at least probably one or two picks. I think that's a possibility. And the, that's the crazy thing too. Arkansas has been able to get picks when, when there's not even consistent pressure. Now they have been pretty consistent. Jonathan Marshall has been pretty consistent. But even when there's not pressure on the quarterback, this secondary has been able to, to uh, pick a quarterback clean. Uh, who has the better? This is a good one. Yummy Dustinator. Well, that sounds like a name you might find on. Uh, who has a better game on Saturday, Franks or Mond, Kyle? I'll, I'll go Felipe. I'm gonna say Felipe gets it turned around. This offense gets it turned around. Like we're gonna. I did say we're gonna have some struggles probably in the run game. We're probably gonna have some struggles early. Are we gonna be able to finally break the streak? All four games you've gone three and out to start your series, yep. the, the, your first series of the game. So can we change that? Can we do that? And can we be more consistent on offense? I think we can, but there is going to be some growing pains, mm-hmm. some more growing pains. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I'd say Mond. I just feel like I'm just the spiller concerns. I mean, he's going to open things up. And I think, I think Mond does come out and probably finally find some uh, areas in the secondary that he could pick apart, maybe over the middle. I don't know. Maybe finally the secondary has like a what happened kind of game, you know, like what just happened here. We haven't done that this year. When's the last time you could say that, by the way, about this Arkansas secondary? When is the last time you felt this confident about the secondary? I can't remember the last time, but maybe this is the game Mond – just really shows off all that hype. I don't know. I'm sitting here hating on the guy. Maybe I think he could do better. And I say that mostly because I'm the run game is it's been non-existent, and Arkansas has found ways to get on the scoreboard. Right with Felipe Franks, 
you know, just being a, a captain and commander of that offense. He has been a, a, a game manager this year, no doubt about that. But now you're going to play a defense that is that's capable of shutting your run game down, and they might be as good or, well, on paper, they're better than Georgia at stopping your run game. I'm going to go with Mon just because of that. So you completely take away Arkansas's run game. You take them completely out of the picture, and you put it all on Felipe Franks to to get you. And he has done that. He has been successful and been able to lead the Arkansas offense down the field without any threat of a run game before. But now you've got to do that. Now you're one-dimensional against Texas A&M, against that stingy defense. Uh, I just I don't know. I don't like the odds. Uh, here's one from uh, B Bass. I don't even know what this name is. B Bass Burn Burner ACC. I don't know. Is that like a uh, okay? Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, he he must be new. Welcome to Discord. And I'm not trying to crap on your name, but I, I, you're gonna have to explain that name to me. Is there anything that particularly intimidates y'all about A and M? Is there anything y'all believe that Arkansas has a hard time finding the answer to, Kyle? Uh, I think we pretty much covered it. It's how are they going to take care of Spiller? How are they going to be? You're probably not going to stop them. You're going to have to slow them down. We really haven't seen them against an, an extremely aggressive rush game. Ole Miss had a strong running game going in, but they really just continued to pass for whatever reason. That <laughs> worked out to Arkansas's favor. How is Ole Miss, or how is Arkansas going to respond against one of the toughest rushing attacks in the SEC. Yeah, I, I and we did answer this earlier more or less, but I, I would say on the flip side of that, what does intimidate me is that A&M stingy off or our stingy defense. And yeah, their run game has been really just really good. Uh and that's against some of the better teams in the SEC, well obviously Bama and Florida. They did struggle against Vanderbilt. They did. They barely won that game, and I know people go back to that. But that was also week one. A lot's changed, and I do think A and M is a really good team. I'm not buying into this. Are they a playoff contender? They do have the easiest path. If you look beyond this game, I don't know that they lose another game. I don't have the schedule up in front of me, but I think it includes like South Carolina, Tennessee, and then the rest are just completely winnable games. South Carolina, who's capable of beating. They're always capable of getting upsets. They may not have the talent. They may not be that good, but they are. They beat Georgia last year, so there is that game. And then I think they play. I'm pretty sure they play Tennessee, and Tennessee is still. I think they're still a solid team, but they've got a lot of things that get, they got to get figured out. For whatever reason, Pruitt's on kind of a hot seat, or at least according to the know-it-alls on Twitter, he's on the hot seat. But we know in reality, he's not. Um, but I, yeah, I would say. I would definitely say their their defense is what concerns me. I mean, I, I think they might be – I think they are better than Arkansas on defense. Now, I don't think they play as physical as we do on defense. I think Arkansas's defense, holy cow, the level of physicality that that defense plays with, it's just I've not seen that from Arkansas. I, I can't remember. Maybe since uh, 2014. And even then, that team wasn't super – physical. They just played really sound football on defense. I think that was uh, Montreal Spate. Uh, I can't remember all the names that year. I'm having a brain fart. But oh, Dar- Darius Phylon, Trey Flowers, Tevin Mitchell. There you go, Rohan. Man, that's a that was a salty defense. They top ten, top what top fifteen, top twelve total defense. And even then, yeah. I don't think they played to the to, to the level of of 
of what these guys do when you talk about in terms of just the physical nature of the game. Like, they've got it down. The physicality of this defense is extraordinary. Yeah, I brain fart on all those names. I'm sitting here trying to rush answers in my brain. I couldn't keep up. The, I, I That's – that team was was littered with all conference caliber players, and we know what some of them went on to do and went on to the NFL and what have you. But uh, this team plays with a chip on their shoulder, and if you've got bumper pullback, Morgan hopefully is at least as close to one hundred percent as he can be, even though he's going to have that Terminator arm, the 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 elbow brace or whatever he's got going on with that left arm. You hope he's he's fully recovered. I'm not really sure on the severity of that, but. When this team's 100% on defense, it's so and it's hard for me to pick against Arkansas because of that, but it's mostly because of of, of their of A&M's defense. Kyle, is there anything you want to add? Did we leave anything out? I think we got most of it. I think, I think we covered just about everything, but go Hogs, man. Let's just let's get this win finally. It's been a long time. Such a in their heads, if you're their fans, imagine if Arkansas switched seats for a second. You win this game, you very well, you're likely to win out. And I think the FPI, ESPN's Football Power Index, I think actually favors them to win out. You are a playoff contender. Now, I don't think they're that caliber of a football team, but what are the odds? You know, Alabama, if they finish out undefeated or even as a one loss, uh, of course, you know, a lot of things depend on that. But if if they go into the SEC championship – they're going to beat Georgia. I'm sorry, Georgia's just not on their level, and you assume Georgia's going to be the team they play in the East. So now you got Georgia as a two-loss, and you've got A&M as a one-loss. The Big 12 is hot garbage right now. Oklahoma State's the best you have to offer. What What is going on over there? I'm like, There is a possibility here. Of course, you have Ohio State and, of course, Clemson and, and Bama. Who's going to take that four spot? There is a possibility that they could they could get in. Would you take them a one loss A and M team over an undefeated Oklahoma State? I don't even know who's next in line in, in the Big Twelve. I would, based on what I've seen out of the Big Twelve, I I would I would yeah. take A and M. Yeah, I would too. So I you know this is a big game for them. It's a big game for Arkansas, like you said. And I love that you pointed that out. Going back to these kids, all the way back to their middle school years, like they have not beaten A and M. And there's a chip on their shoulder for that game. And on top of that, this game, by the way, not going to be played in Fayetteville next year. We didn't touch on that. We forgot about that. Not going to play. It sounds like Hunter Yurichek decided they're going to keep this game down in uh, Arlington. What you? It, I mean, it's uh, it's smart. I, I, I'm not so sure if it was Hunter Yurichek or was it Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. Know. Or the board. No one talks about Little Rock. What's, you know, Maybe they had yeah. something to do with it. I get it. You got to honor their "quote unquote" contract, right? They have a contract to play there till 20... 2024, and you got to honor your biggest donor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do have the nutrition center that's got his name <laughs> on the. And then isn't the Jerry Jones or the the uh, Jerry and Gene Jones Family Center? Is it Family Center? Too? I keep calling it Nutrition yeah. Center. I thought it was Nutrition. Well, I, I think he did. He maybe paid for the nutrition stuff, but. He's yeah he he's down pretty much spent uh, spent the loads and loads of money there. So you gotta I get it. I, it sucks because it's a recruiting disadvantage. I think to not to not be able to have that game in Fayetteville. You can't take recruits to Arlington. You can't take them there. You can't host them. You can only host them on your home turf. And it's nice for you know the Fayetteville economy. It's nice nice for the U of A economy. But obviously they want to, like you said, keep that donor keep uh, keep Jones happy. I get it. I'm not. 
I'm a little frustrated with it because you did get that one freaking game this year down there and not going to have it in Fayetteville. And what is that? What does that bring us to? What two conference games next year in Fayetteville in Arkansas? Or am I wrong? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I mean, God, Auburn and Mississippi State. That's just that is the worst. That sucks. That sucks. And this year was going to be unbelievable with who you had, who you were playing. And not only that, the neutral site, too, with Mizzou, that matchup. Okay, um, we're going to go on to the next segment. Kyle, I'm going to have uh, – he's, he's uh, interviewing Travis Brown again from the Eagle, who, who covers the A&M Athletics down there in, in, uh, in Texas. So, Woo Pig Suey, by the way, next time I see you guys or talk to you, Kyle, and, and our audience – we could have a new president, Halloween, and the A&M game. All, yeah. all uh, figured out by that point. Hopefully hopefully some, some positives <laughs> next week. I'm not going to – we don't get political here. But I, I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to be really excited when all this freaking political t- – like I'm just so tired of being told to vote every time I log into Facebook, Discord, Twitter. I'm, be- I'm tired of being told to vote. Tired of it. I know. You want me to vote. I hear you. Tired of that stuff. Ready for that to go away. All right. We'll see. I will see you guys next week, next Friday. Woo Pig Suey. We'll see you then. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479 368 6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. We're back on episode number 134 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Now joining me on the Workman's Travel Center hotline is Travis Brown, who covers Texas A&M for the Eagle out of College Station. And Travis, I know uh, with the Aggies playing as well as they have been, uh, they're 3-1 and one with that lone loss coming to Alabama you guys are coming off a bye just like Arkansas is. So I know the anticipation having to wait for football the way that we did with COVID and everything, just like Razorback fans, y'all got to be ready to get back on the field too, I would imagine. Yeah, it's uh, – they, they A&M has their, their work week. Uh, they have gotten a lot of uh, back to the fundamentals, a little game planning, a little game planning. So games in advance, they said. So uh, I think that the the team seems like they're pretty itching to get on the field and uh, – Seems like excitement. They might actually have some guys or some of the younger guys who um, uh, maybe hadn't seen a whole lot of action leading up, up to this game. I got some reps in the bye week, got a little bit more uh, uh, fundamentally into the system, and you might see a, a, a few new faces in this Arkansas game uh, this as well. That was going to be my next question, sort of in line with that, is the opponent for the Aggies and the Razorbacks this past week was making sure that they stayed clear of COVID. Obviously, when you're off for a week, you're going to go home, see your family, see your friends. You're going to be around other environments that you hadn't been for the past couple of weeks. Are there any – I know that you guys are pretty banged up at receiver. We'll get into that. But is there any other injuries of note that we need to be aware of going into the game? Well – uh, actually, it, it might be more of the opposite of, of getting some guys back from injury. Uh, Hezekiah Jones is a veteran who has missed the entire season so far. 
um, with a leg injury, um, undisclosed leg injury. And the word from Jimbo Fisher and especially Kellen Mond in this week's press conference was the fact that um, Hezekiah Jones might be back uh, this week. And that would actually be huge for Kellen Mond because the core that they have this year is very inexperienced, very, mostly pretty young. And, and having a guy like Hez Jones back in who, is, who knows this offense, has been in a couple of years, just has that, that veteran savvy and, and has that – speed spread out the defense a little bit um he, he could be a game changer for for the Aggies so it's actually more of who they're they're getting back um than necessarily who is injured Isaiah Spiller left the game a little bit early at Mississippi State two weeks ago with a little bit of a hobbled ankle but Fisher said he could have come back in the game then if uh, if needed be they just wanted to hold him out as precaution Eric Young is a nickelback uh had a uh, an injury in the I believe it was the uh, Vanderbilt game, uh, an arm injury, and he uh, he went and uh, it should be maybe back this week too. So it's really about getting guys back more so than anybody that might be missing. Yeah, and I know four out of the five offensive linemen that you guys have right now have been really good, and and pretty much all of them started last year. Uh, I know center Ryan McCollum, I think he started around like seven, eight games, so a pretty good chunk of the season. And it paved the way for Isaiah Spiller to average about uh, close to seven yards a carry right now, which ranks fourth in the SEC. Do you feel pretty confident that they that A&M will be able to continue that success? As you mentioned, the wide receiver core being very young, relying pretty much on Isaiah Spiller right now. But Arkansas's defense has played pretty well against two what we thought were really good a Mississippi State school and an Ole Miss turned out not to be so much, at least from what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Do you feel like A&M is going to be able to sustain that if they happen to just be one-dimensional? Sure, and I think a lot of it goes back to um, kind of where you started the offensive line. A&M's offensive line has been a question mark uh, the last several seasons, um, and it was going to be a pretty big one coming into this season too because – even as we looked and previewed this season heading out of the very right at the end of last season, it was going to be, well, they're not really getting anybody new. So this is going to be a huge spring practice for this team. Well, they didn't have spring ball uh, this year. And so there was a lot of question marks on would this offensive line make strides? And they have, they've only uh, allowed one sack this season, um, which has been huge. And, and they, they, uh, they lead the, the, the conference in, in fewest tackles for loss um, as well. So I think, a lot of this is as the offensive line goes, A&M goes, and so far they proved that they're not necessarily um, going to back down from what they've been able to do. Uh, they, they've been able to give Kellen Mond clean pockets, which is um, aided in his accuracy a little bit. And like you mentioned, Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller and Anaya Smith are both two guys that have uh, run the ball well for the Aggies, and, and it all kind of starts at, at the line. I think um, if you want to look at any way that this A&M offense has improved from the last two seasons, it's got to be at the offensive line. And let's go back now to the wide receiver core. You lost Caleb Chapman, had a great game against Florida, catching nine balls for 151 yards, two touchdowns. Cameron Buckley was also lost during fall camp to an injury. And then Jamon Osmond opted out for his senior year. Talk about the what how, how much these guys – I don't really know the stats of the guys that are playing in their places right now, but uh, what have they been able to do to help that run game out with these injuries happening? Yeah, it's 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 been a little hit or miss. I know Caleb Chapman was the the guy that everyone is excited about, but actually on his second touchdown catch of that game, tore his ACL and was out for the season. Uh, they have Chase Lane, they have Jalen Preston, um, and Anaya Smith as the three main targets um, from the wide receiver position. Uh, Chase Lane has kind of been one of the only guys who has 
been able to make a make a little bit of a splash. And I believe in the last game, Anais and Chase were the only two that got targets at all at Mississippi State um, from the wide receiver position. They also have Jalen Widermeyer at tight end, who is um, every every bit of of what everyone expected him to be again this year, and and probably. Kellen Mond's biggest security blanket on the team right now, as far as the passing game goes. So he's always a threat, but when you look just at wide receiver, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's Jalen Preston and Anaya Smith. And Anaya Smith is, is an interesting one um, for anyone who hasn't followed A&M. He's a guy who came in as an athlete um, out of high school. They moved him to the slot position last year and he was running completely at wide receiver struggled to, find a spot in that rotation of wide receivers until the Arkansas game last year. And then he was probably Kellen Mond's prime target other than Jalen Weidermeyer for the rest of the season. So he's the, probably the biggest returning playmaker. Well, they decided that because they're a little weak on running backs, or they thought they were, they were going to move him to the running back position. That's actually what they did for the bowl game last year and carried it through to this year. Well, after a couple games and, and the wide receivers they have returning, not necessarily making any big strides, they decided to move him back. Now, I don't want to say that he's necessarily is a wide receiver or he is a running back. He's a, he's a mismatch guy. He's a guy that they're going to put out in all kinds of different positions um, to try to find the best mismatch out there. So he'll take some um, handoffs. He will also line up outside and, and catch some passes. And, and he's the, the guy that, that really is probably the, the biggest threat outside, save if Hezekiah Jones is able to come back and, and is back to 100% and, and, and can make that impact because that will be um, – he will – right from the get-go will probably be uh, the, the guy that has the most chemistry with, with Kellen Mond from seasons past. And as we're talking about these injuries, I, it's a little coincidental. If my memory serves me right, Isaiah Spiller took over for uh, Ja'Shawn Corbin after he had gotten hurt last last year and ended up transferring. So if there's anybody that knows how to take over, and and he was even doing Isaiah was doing pretty well uh, even before he took like the full reins. And so if there's anybody that knows how to to take over for somebody once they have to be the next man up, it's definitely him. Right. He, uh, he had a big game and, and, and I can't remember exactly who it was for, but it was uh, before the Clemson or, or no, he, he came in in the Clemson game uh, because Texas that's when Jason Corbin got hurt. And then, yeah, uh, in one of the directional school games, he had a, his first hundred yard uh, rushing performance. And it's kind of been um, no looking back since there um, where he has stepped up and, and he has uh, in, in A&M's uh, four games he has three 100 yard performances so far um and so yeah i mean uh and, and expect him to probably have another big game or be a big part of the game plan which i'm sure is something we'll probably get into in a little bit in that with how good arkansas has been in takeaways in interceptions in um getting the ball back on defense and turning those into points you got to think that AM will probably lean a little bit more on a conservative offensive plan try to get him the ball and then pass off the play action more so than just spreading it out and throwing it now jimbo fisher has proven to kind of surprise us all with some of his game plans but typically he is a, a control time of possession conservative game caller to begin with and on top of the fact that AM hasn't been great in ball security this year, you got to think that probably they'll play things a little bit more conservative, and that leans solely on the shoulders of Isaiah Spiller. And flipping over to we'll go to the Arkansas offense, well, that has not been very good. Uh, they had a pretty good game in the second half of Auburn, uh, and that that comeback that uh, is a very touchy subject for Razorback fans. <laughs> but they're thirteenth overall uh, in, to in total yards for the SEC have not gotten the running game going. Former Aggie Rakeem Boyd, I just don't think has been full health and the offensive line hasn't done a very good job run blocking. 
But A&M's got a very good run defense. I think they're second behind Georgia, allowing around 75 yards per game. What were some, what are some things that Arkansas is going to have to do in order to mix it up? I mean, obviously, Kendall Bryles is going to have to get creative. But what are some things that they're going to have to do against Mike Elko's defense to make sure that they can, if they aren't able to run, but just to be able to move the ball? Yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> you'll have to run that question by me one more time. I, I, hey. I got – Based on what, but what I'm getting at is, is what what do you think an offense is going to have to do if they are if they do have the struggles that Arkansas has had? Uh, so what what are they going to have to do against Mike Elko's defense in order to mix it up and and not sure sure if they've had to sure um, really the, the place that AM has been the weakest is is in the pass game. Um, uh, you, you had Vanderbilt out there who was able to throw a ball throw the ball around a little bit on them with Ken Seals, the freshman quarterback, who who will probably be a pretty good quarterback when it's all said and done in this league. Um, and then you have Florida put up points uh, throwing the ball, and uh, of course uh, Alabama was able to exploit AM over the top a lot. Elko is very aggressive with the safeties. He will bring them down in the box to help stop the run. He'll bring them down in the blitz um, and leave some of times his cornerbacks and the other safety out on an island a little bit um, in, in man coverage. Leans heavily on the man coverage too. So if, if, if Arkansas's wide receivers can beat AM's guys in man coverage, especially over the top, that's how they've been exploited mostly this year. I mean, their run defense is, is is solid as it has been pretty much every year under Elko, and and uh, continues to be this year. The the, the running game, I would it, it would be a, a vast um, change from what has happened through most of the season already if Arkansas has a lot of su- success in the running game. But the defensive secondary hasn't necessarily been that solid for AM, and that's how they've been beat uh, this season. And Travis, I want to ask you from an A and M perspective, so. I think that Arkansas fans, there's many of them that definitely look at this game as a rivalry now, especially even though that you, that A&M has won the last eight games. So if Arkansas loses again, all, we're just one one year short of a decade losing streak. But what do, do A&M fans look at this as a rivalry game? Would you say just the overwhelming majority? I know that you guys looked at the Longhorns for the longest time when you were in the Big 12 as your rival the day after Thanksgiving, and there's some others in there as well. But what what is the from your perspective the overwhelming, I guess, perspective of that uh, for this being a rivalry game or not? Yeah, I mean. It goes back down to a lot of times what what the programs think. We ask a lot of athletes every year, a lot of A&M players every year, hey, is this one of those games you have circled as a rivalry game? And and usually the overwhelming response is yes. I mean, those games have been close. You there's there's albeit not an exciting one, but it it is a trophy game. They have that Southwest class trophy. Um, so I think it has all the makings for what you would want in a rivalry game. Um, and then just the shared history going back to the Southwest conference and, and kind of being more uh, regionally close and, and, and sharing some of the same major cities and whatnot um, as A&M more so than any other school, except save LSU for, for A&M fans. So um, I think that, yes, sometimes a lot people try to say that, that a rivalry isn't a rivalry if, if, if it's one-sided as much as it has been, but you, that kind of goes out the window with how close those games have been every year and how many times they've gone to um, overtime. I, I talked with a story to, uh, to uh, um, Daniel LaCamera, the kicker in 2017 for A&M today for a story I'm doing later um, and, and kicking that game tying field goal was, was one of his best 
memories of, of playing in college, he said. And, and uh, a lot of that had to do with playing in AT&T Stadium. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was a game that was always close, that moment. Um, people down here want to beat Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think if you want to look for all the check marks and the checklist of what makes a rivalry, this checks all the boxes. And I don't think anybody really does a, a, a difficult job or a hard job of denying that. You talked about that winning field goal, and that's one thing that's just really scared me about the Razorbacks more than anything this year is, yes, I have been concerned with some of the offensive struggles. Defense has just really been lights out, especially considering what we've had under Chavis. Really what I, I know that it wasn't near as bad for you guys, but I know that he kind of fell off a little bit when he went to A&M, and then just it, the wheels came off completely at Arkansas. But compared to what we've seen the last couple of years, I've been very pleased with this defense. But the special teams for Arkansas is what kills me. We saw what Christian Kirk did a few years ago, and there's been some big special teams. Play. Now what Sam Irwin Hill did in 2014 with that 51-yard fake punt return. So I think that I would not be shocked with the way that this game has turned over the last few years, or at least in some of the things that we've seen in the last nine years, that this could come down to possibly a crazy special teams play. See, that's the interesting thing is that special teams has actually not necessarily been one of A&M's strong suits. They have a good kicker in Seth Small, and uh, he did hit a, a, a game winner um, against Florida. That was that was very clutch. But in the return games, it's been decently non-existent. I, they've done a little bit with the punt return, but after a, a big snafu against Vanderbilt where um, Anaya Smith – caught one in the end zone, kind of stuttered, and then decided to run it out from the end zone. And then Brian George uh, on the on the kick uh, kickoff return team uh, did a, a crackback block in the end zone for his safety. Ever since that kind of happened, Jimbo Fisher has been really hesitant to even initiate the, the kickoff team, and they've pretty much fair caught everything. I believe uh, this season they have two returns for 10 yards um, and rank some of the one of the worst in the, in the country just in, in kick return yardage because of it. And, and so you look at, at this game where Arkansas is one of the last in the country in um, defensive kickoff uh, coverage – that, that this would be the game for AM to to try some, to try to break some off against a, a, a team that's, that's struggling a little bit in that area. But I, I don't know if, if Fisher is going to take, the, take the, 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 the red light off of those guys because if you look at it, uh, I believe Arkansas was ranked 96 in kickoff coverage in, in the country with teams averaging about 28 yards um, per return. Well, if you're kicking it on the one and you wave and take it up to 25, well, that's only uh, – three yard difference. Um, and so, I mean, how, how much of a difference does that three yards make when you could fumble the ball, when you could turn it over, when you could get stopped at the 10 and have to add some your yardage. So I, I kind of get where he's at with that conservative approach, but it will be interesting to see if he takes the training wheels off um, and let some of these guys return it, or if he's just content to start at the 25 every time um, and, and, and let them march down the field from there. And it, well, 2018, that opening kickoff, that was the difference for the 24 to 17. Corbin. Yeah, for you. Yeah, it was. That's right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that was the that was the difference then. And then uh, I know, I, th I guess last year, I think it was 31 27, four point game. So yeah, it's been, uh, I guess, outside of 2016, uh, since 2000. Trevor Knight. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was the man, Trevor, that, Trevor Knight ran away with it. That was, yeah, that was the, that's, it's been pretty, pretty lopsided since. Yeah. And, and so with that, all that being said, so since 2014, you've had three games go to overtime, five of those six decided by a touchdown or less. Give us just a little synopsis of how you think this game is going to go in your prediction. 
you know, we've, we've talked about this on various platforms through the week. Um, I, uh, right now, I believe the spread is 12 and a half. Um, I, I think Arkansas covers the spread. There's nothing in history of this series recently that should tell me that it should be anything other than a close game. Um, I, I think that it will be a close game if, if Kellen Mond throws some interceptions. Some uh, guys have been very fumble prone lately. If they turn the ball over, the Razorbacks have proven that they will capitalize on turnovers and, and turn those into points. And that if you look at the, the two games that Arkansas has won, uh, it's been uh, points off from the defense have been key in those games. Um, so AM has to fix that, those ball security issues if they want a chance to, to not let Arkansas cover. Um, but again, I think Arkansas covers. I think um, my, my, my going thing, uh, my going prediction here is uh, 27-21, two field goals. Um, might, might, might be the difference in, in, in this one. And um, I, I think we're, we're ready for another battle. I think the only thing that can – my little running conspiracy theory is while everyone says you'd rather play at home and – uh, the home field advantage is is a big thing going back and forth. Um, I, I you have to wonder how much when when you look at these games and, and some of these games A and M on paper has been a vastly better team than Arkansas, um, or or the records just are are vastly different heading into these games, and yet they're so close. How much of a factor does going and playing in the Big Boy Stadium, playing, getting to pretend like you're a professional? And you know, wear your suit and walk through the the, the concourses and, and the tunnels and dress in the, the NFL locker rooms and and have the big screen. How much of that gives you that extra little adrenaline boost um, to, to get going and get up for the game on, on both sides? Um, this will be completely AM's uh, AM's home field advantage and and it'll be interesting to see. This will be a good test of that rivalry. Is it simply the adrenaline that you get from playing that logo on that helmet on the other side? Or did a lot of the factor have to do into, I get to pretend like I'm an NFL guy today and wear my cool shades and my, my suit while we walk into the NFL stadium and, and train under the big lights. And so I think if this continues to be another close game, which I think it will be, then you really can point back to it and say, yeah, hey, I, I think there's really something between these two programs because, man, no matter what, they, they get up to play, and that's not to say that Arkansas is vastly – I mean, this is probably one of the, the, the scariest Arkansas teams they're going to have to face in a while, and so that definitely plays into it as well. But, but yeah, I, I think this will be a good, true test of, of how much of a rivalry this is on the field um, with, with how close the game is. And you talked about home field advantage. Before we get out of here, I, I do have to bring up – so there's been a lot of talk about the game against Florida, and it, it seems to be opposing riders are saying that there was – at least 50,000 people in Kyle Field. Now, I'm taking my Razorback fan hat off here, and I'm going to say it does look like that. However, I think that the camera angle makes it seem a little bit more. I think that it's actually reasonable that maybe there was around twenty five to 30,000 people, so possibly just over a little bit of capacity. But, I mean, you just from the outside, from, I guess from the inside, uh, what would you say about that? Was, that, was there more than 25 or – was it was it at the capacity it should have been? Sure, and and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I don't have a hat to take off. I'm not an AM alum, so um, <laughs> I'm just here here to cover. So and and yeah. from what I've looked down and see, I've seen Kyle Field at 102,000 capacity. I've seen Kyle Field against Northwestern State when there's probably 60 units thousand or whatever. Um, I, I've seen it when there's not a lot of people there, 
and you've seen the registered attendances as such, um, it, it's it's under twenty. It's under twenty five percent. I believe they're working off a while the stadium holds one hundred and two something butts in seats. They're operating off of one hundred and ten capacity, which is you know, fire marshal standards for some of the clubs and the suites and um, different places like that. So it's really off of 110,000 that that percentage comes from. And it's 25% of that, which gets you at about 27,000. They've said that they've actually haven't, it hasn't actually been capacity sellouts under that 25% yet this season. And they've averaged about 24,000. Um, I would say 100% that they're staying under the 25%. What, what, what makes it a little different and challenging is right behind the, the sections behind the visitor's bench are the student sections. And while masks and social distancing and staying within your little family groups is the university and the athletic department policy to be able to come into the stadium, student sections, as we've seen across the country and Kyle feels so different has not done a great job of the social distancing. So it's kind of funny to watch, you know, of, of course the big A&M tradition is the, is the war hymn and they come together and saw varsity's horns off. You'll, you'll see the students come in and sit in their little family groupings or their, their, their sections of, of few students that they're supposed to be in. But as soon as they play the war hymn at the beginning, everyone comes together to solve varsity's horns off and then no one spreads back out. So a lot of those camera shots going back up where you see the home of the 12th man sign, those are the student sections where everyone's decided to clump together. But at the start of the game, they're actually pretty spread out and, and not necessarily all doesn't look that big. So if you look at the other side, the side where the cameras are, the West side, the alumni side, it's very spread out. Um, looks more like that kind of spring game look that you see across the nation. So um, we're actually doing a pretty thorough job of trying to um, open records requests and, and get ticket scans and, and kind of make sure we, we know what's going on there, especially without the amount of um, news that's come out of other organizations and other parts of the country and, and, and opinions on it. And by every indication that we found they're completely complying by what they said. I mean, and the other interesting part about it too is under the governor's orders, governor Abbott's orders, they technically could be operating at 50%. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of seemed like it was a statewide consensus among the colleges that 25%, because AM actually came out, their first uh, issue right before the season was it's going to be 30%. And then the next week, UT came out at 25%. And a couple of the other schools, and then by the end of the week, A and M had reduced theirs down by to twenty five percent. So it seems like there was some consensus work to make sure that everybody was kind of staying the same. So that being said, um, yeah, I, every indication that we're getting from both the university, from some of the fact checking we're doing, it's been right at about twenty four to twenty seven thousand people. Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, Travis, really appreciate all your insights. It was great talking with you. And as we always say in good fun, we wish you guys all the best of luck except for this week. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, that will do it for episode number 134 of the Hot Talk Podcast. Again, thank you, Travis, uh, for the time. And we will catch you guys next time. My name is Kyle Sutherland. See you guys later. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.